Alright, good morning, good morning, alright uh, We are beginning our uh, restart Season 2 of Acts series, right? This whole year, uh, we are in our study from the book of Acts. We got through the first season, uh, going from chapter 1, uh, through most of the stories of the Apostle Peter, until chapter 12, Peter breaks from prison. You remember Rhoda? They were knocking on the door, and Rhoda's like, oh my gosh, you know? Like, that was the last time we were in the book of Acts. Today, we, are, we, we took a break. We did Ecclesiastes. We had Father's Day. We had uh, a bunch of other things. We had, we, we had Rodney share with, the work with us. We had Pastor Rami share the work with us. We had the launch of 40 days. And now, here we are uh, at the restart in our studies from the book of Acts, okay? Uh, don't mind me, I'm kind of like having a little sniffle uh, from lack of sleep. So, forgive me. Forgive me uh, uh, for this. All right, cool. Uh, so, today's sermon is entitled, Friends in High Places. Okay, Friends in High Places. I'm going to do two things. In fact, today's sermon is going to be one half. Um, one half will be an overview of season two of our study in Book of Acts. And then the second half will be a bit like a sermonette on chapter 13, verses 1 to 12. We see a very, uh, a very representative power clash, right? Clash of different uh, uh, spiritual and physical powers um, over the lives of the, over the life of one man. But we're going to start first with an overview in the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, uh, and even if it's in your, your mobile device, I really want to encourage you um, to really get into the Word of God, right? To seek God through His, the way He reveals Himself in His Word. Uh, I, would, I would wish that all of y'all brought your physical Bibles and during the sermon, you're like taking notes, underlining, writing on the margins, you know. Um, I would wish for you to do that, but if you are very digital, I would wish that you whip out your phone and start, you know, taking notes as well. And maybe after a while of doing that, you realize that, you know what? analog might just work better uh, for this, you know. I don't know, right? But if digital works, digital works, right? There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, okay? And so I've just laid out all the 28 chapters there. Just a very quick recap. Uh, season 1, we covered chapters 1 all the way through till 12. And so our season 2, uh, we'll be taking it from 13 all the way through the end. There's, that this does not mean that season two actually runs longer. It doesn't. Season two is actually two sermons shorter. So we'll go all the way till just before Christmas, and then we'll end after twelve sermons into to go into our Advent series. All right. There'll be some breaks in the middle as well, and we start off, you know, um, and these are the these are all the cities um, and all the places in the Mediterranean. Uh, that we are going to cover. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, you don't have a long church background or anything like that, Acts, this book of Acts, is the story of the disciples of Jesus who take the good news of Jesus and they bring it out of the land they were in. They're actually in like modern-day Israel, right? Um, Jerusalem. And they move away from Jerusalem and you remember Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 7 says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then to Judea, and to Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. And we are going to see the 
Samariaing and the ends of the worlding happening in this second half. In fact, uh, it's a little bit like a very long holiday, okay? Because they're going to go from city to city, they're going to travel, and then they're going to cycle back home, you know? And so, they'll, like, if you just look at this, some of these are modern-day cities as well. You see Rome, Malta, Athens, you know, uh, Cyprus, Jerusalem. These are cities or little nations like Malta that we are familiar with today. If you've got your Bibles, you will see other familiar names like Ephesus, right? Or Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth. These are churches that uh, the Apostle Paul would later uh, write very famous letters too. And those letters become the epistles that are in our Bibles today. And then there are many others, uh, uh, cities that may look very strange to you. God, place called um, Miletus, or, or you know, Mysia. What's this Mysia? Is it short for Malaysia, right? It's not. It's not, okay? It's in the middle, it's in the Mediterranean, right? Um, and Berea, Caesarea, there's a Caesar in this, right? Uh, founded by one of the many Herod uh, 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 kings, right? So, we'll be going through uh, many of these cities, and in each one of these, um, there'll be some drama, something happening in each of these cities. So we're going to track through that. Now, along the way, we're going to see not just the places of Acts Season 2, but also the people of Acts Season 2, right? By the way, this sermon in Sesame Street style, this sermon was brought to you by the letter P, okay? Because somehow, uh, all the categories for this uh, 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 overview begins with the letter P. I didn't plan for it. Um, but from the places, we're going to see the people. Now in season one, uh, we followed the stories of, uh, of disciples like Peter, um, like Stephen. How many of y'all remember Stephen? Long speech and then like he, you know, uh, 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 you know, mara mara the people and then after that, they, you know, bludgeon him with stones, you know, uh, the first martyr, right? And then remember Philip, how many of y'all remember Philip? You know, uh, he chased after the, 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 the chariot, right? And then after that, boom, he like, God brought him elsewhere. He, he brought the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. John uh, was generally mostly with Peter whenever they moved about. And then James, right? How James was uh, uh, killed by one of the Herods, right? Uh, while he was caught and imprisoned. Now, this is the people of Acts season 1. In the rest of the book of Acts, you're going to see new faces, right? Um, Paul, who travels quite a lot with Barnabas at the start. And then uh, in a very human way, they end up having a disagreement over one other guy called John Mark. And then Paul and, and Barnabas uh, move in different directions, uh, doing God's work in different places of the world. And then Silas now joins Paul. Timothy will join Paul. And then later Priscilla and Aquila uh, will join Paul. Um, this one I really want to make mention because I think it's important we acknowledge the many women who played an important role in the growth of the church in its earliest days. If you know your Book of Romans, Book of Romans was delivered by a woman. What's her name again? Phoebe, right? It was delivered by Phoebe and read out by Phoebe and 
and and Book of Romans is like the most theologically dense, you know, uh, um, letter uh, that Paul wrote, right? And the one who would explain the letter on behalf of Paul would be the one he entrusted to bring the letter to read. And so, when you see Priscilla's name there, uh, it really is, she was one of the leaders who became prominent, right? Um, but there were many other women uh, working in and alongside the many men in advancing the gospel, I think it was it's important that we uh, make mention of that, right? Wife and husband team, Priscilla and Aquila, and always in that order too, by the way. Yeah, um, and then Apollos, right? Um, and then at, at the very end, Jesus, who is Jesus the brother, sorry, James, who is the brother of Jesus, uh, um, our Lord, um, at the very end, who is by that time the leader of the church in Jerusalem. These are some of the faces and the people we are going to get acquainted with in this second half of the, of the book of Acts. But amongst all these names, one of them will rise up, right? It will be Paul, who is, we know as Paul of Tarsus. In fact, his Jewish name is Saul of Tarsus. Many people say that he went through an official name change, like a corporate rebrand, okay? Um, now, Paul slash Saul did not actually go through a corporate rebrand, okay? Um, what happens is that as uh, Saul is his Jewish name. In fact, Saul is, uh, Saul is a kingly name, right? To Jewish people, Saul is a name of King Saul. And so he has a very Jewish name that invokes all kinds of memories and all kinds of associations, right, with kingliness, rule, and all that. Now, when Paul moves into the Roman world, right, and Paul is a bit of a hybrid himself. He has um, Jewish parentage, you know, but he grew up in as a Roman citizen in the city of Tarsus. And so, he's like Malaysian-born Chinese, Malaysian-born Indian, you know, um, if you kind of like have this kind of like multicultural, multilingual, multi kind of like uh, 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 thing, Paul is a little bit like that. And so he has his Jewish side where he can be very Jewish and in those circles, he goes by the name of Saul, right? Because that's his Jewish name. Um, and so you'll see in the earlier part of um, the, the book of Acts where a lot of the action happens in the Jewish regions, you see him being spoken of as Saul. And then you are going to see from chapter 13 onwards, his name being rendered as Paul because he is now moving into the Roman part of Europe and where Jewish uh, stronghold is not, so, is not so strong, you know, you're going to see a lot of encounters with non-Jewish groups of people and so you see his name rendered more as Paul. So he did not go through a rebrand, uh, it's just the way um, uh, Luke, the author of the, uh, of the book of Acts, decides to render his name, okay? So that's important. He travels first with Barnabas, then with Silas and Timothy, right? And then later with Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. And then at the very end of the book, Paul goes at it alone. He's stuck in prison. He is alone. He has people come to visit him and they go off. But it becomes a very lonely journey for him towards the end. He goes from one trial to another, from one kangaroo court to another. And in the end, he ends up 
in Rome, right? And Paul, of course, is interesting because he wrote 13 of what are now the 27 books of the New Testament, okay? So he wrote um, quite a lot. He's responsible for quite a lot of your New Testament. In terms of word count, it's 34%, okay? In terms of actual books, it's 40-something, but in terms of word count, it's 34%, okay? And so, so this is the protagonist uh, whom we know as Paul. Now, uh, these are the books of the New Testament which are written uh, by Paul, right? Now, just a note, Paul didn't write all these things thinking, I'm going to sit down today and write parts of the Bible. And then he starts writing Bible. You know, he doesn't. A lot. These are all correspondence, right? If you see a name of a city, it is the church in that city, right? He writes to the Christians in Rome. He writes to the Christians in Corinth. He writes to the Christians in Galatia, in Ephesus, in Philippi, you know, and, and so on, right? In, in Thessalonica, right? Yes, Okay, I have it there. And then he writes letters directly to individuals like to Timothy and to Titus and Philemon, you know. And so uh, these found their way into the Bible. Paul did not sit down and decide, I want to write the Bible. Um, he wrote them as correspondence and these uh, 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 pieces of correspondence are now part of our Bible. Now, among the major players of the Bible, right, of, 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 the, of the book of Acts, you will see that at the start of the book of Acts, you will see a lot more Peter and John, there was Stephen and Philip and all that, but really here in chapter 13 is where we begin, you know, um, our season two, it's pretty much Paul and Paul's cohort all the way, right? Now, as they go, as they go out, I want you to even right now just put pause. Okay, because this can just be very teaching. Right? I'm just showing you what the book of Acts season 2 is going to be like. But I really want to turn the attention for just a brief moment to you and the people you serve alongside with. If you are in the worship team and you have a keyboardist, you have a worship leader, you have someone who plays the drums, right? Um, you have someone who plays the acoustic guitar. These are your these, right? If you're on the prayer team and you gather in that room every Sunday, you know, um, and you have, you know, different fellas who are like uh, opening in prayer and continuing prayer, praying for one another, your team is this. This is your team. You're going out there, you're ministering together. If you are in a cell group, this, your cell group members are these. We just recently, not too long ago, went on a missions trip, right, to Tande, right? That little group is like this. And so as we do church, so-called do church today, I want us to remember that we always continue to not serve alone. We don't go at it um, uh, like, like lone wolves. In fact, Paul, I told you, would see out his ministry days very lonely, uh, uh, very alone rather, um, not out of per, uh, uh, intentional choice, you know. It's because he was caught, he was in chains, he was in prison, awaiting trial, you know. And whenever possible, he longed to have his friends visit him in prison, you know. And so I want us all to remember that the Christian faith is not one where we strike it out alone, you know, no matter how imperfect your former church may have been. No matter how imperfect our current church may be sometimes, God's 
will and desire is never for you to do this alone. He desires for you to journey together with other Christians, you know. Um, and so, uh, in the imperfection, in the muddling our way around, you will see that in many ways, they didn't get it right themselves. They were also muddling their way around. And so, we will do until the very end of the day. We will continue to approximate you know, God's vision for the church, you know, and we'll do our best, you know, and some days we will do quite well and we can pat each other on the back. Some days we won't do so well and we keep going on. The church keeps going on. It's built and made up of all of you. So I just want you to just take a moment and appreciate the people around you. And I'm going to do this, don't feel weird because you don't actually have to fix eyes on anyone but just look around you right now. Just turn your eyes away from the stage and look at each other. This is the church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's not going to get better than this. It's not going to get worse than this. For 2,000 years, it's been different versions of this, right? We're not superstars. We have no celebrities here. Neither do we have people who walk with a limp Nobody walks with a swagger. And it's one of the things I like to say, right? Um, we don't walk with a swagger in the kingdom. We don't walk with a limb in the kingdom. We walk together in the kingdom, right? And so this is what we have, right? And that's the people who make up the church. Now, there is always a pattern when the church, the people of God, go out into new frontiers. They're going to go out into dangerous frontiers. They're going to go out into frontiers where people do not accept them, where people do not receive them, where the people who are there consider them threats to their existing way of life. Sounds like Selangor State on this morning. Right? They, and everywhere they go, everywhere they go, there is a certain pattern. They will preach. There will be a power encounter, meaning a clash of two different powers. There will be, sorry, they will see the power of the preaching. They will see the power of God and then there will be a pushback. Okay? There will be a pushback. And sometimes the pushback results in um, the power encounter escalating. Sometimes the pushback causes the disciples to just, you know, flee to the next city, right? And so, I, I love it, you know. I tell you what I love about this. I particularly like it that sometimes when there is pushback, the disciples get up and they flee to the next city. You know what I like about it? They are not being the typical Hollywood heroes. Okay? These guys are not Hollywood heroes. You know what a Hollywood hero would do? A Hollywood hero will never get up and run away. Hollywood hero will fight to the death and be victorious so that, you know, like when the credits roll, you leave the cinema, you feel like, wow, hero, selalu menang. Yeah, you know. You know what? You know what? I love these guys because they are so real. Sometimes under pressure, they get up and they move to the next city. Sometimes under pressure, God has a plan to show up miraculously and boom something crazy happens 
and then they get up later and move to another city. And why do I like this so much? It's not because I like losers. They are not losers, by the way. It's because I like it when the Bible shows you that Christians back then are Christians like right now who are just ordinary people with hopes, with fears, with desires, with passions, and with all the normal set of emotions that you and I have. I love it because sometimes we can look into our Bibles and think that, wow, all these people, the heroes of our faith. I shall show you so many big names there, right? The heroes of our faith will never be like um, uh, Silas and Timothy. No! Not true. We are the Silas's and Timothys of our generation. And just in case we pedestalize them and think that they are like these super atas disciples, you know, they are not. They are not. Right? Like Rhoda, you knock on the door, she's like Galaba, you know. Uh, in the same way, you're going to see these people do very human things, you know, and have very human experiences. Even Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement over John Mark, and then they decided, you know what? We, we just can't agree. We're just going to go separate ways, right? And we'll deal with that in his own sermon. But there's always a preaching, the power of God in the preaching and in the ministry, and then pushback, you know. And the pushback took place in quite a lot of cities, by the way, right? Uh, these are, these are the same spread of cities I showed you just now, but fighting, fighting, pushback, you know. Uh, they, are, they are pushed out often, right? Try to stone them, try to kill them, you know, that kind of thing, right? And so, in the midst of all of this, one more P, we have uh, the people, the places, the protagonists, uh, the pattern. The pattern includes pushback. The pattern, actually, ultimately, there is a purpose. There is a big, strong and goal. They're not just doing this in a haphazard way, like you know, running around, you know, don't know what they're doing or just doing it. They are taking it one day at a time, but there is an end goal. Especially for Paul, it is one, to bring the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? That is Evangelion, the resurrection of Jesus. Now today, He is alive. And so He has died on the cross for everyone's sins and now He is alive. And so when you die in Him, you'll be raised with Him, you know, and you have hope forevermore. That gospel, that's what we call gospel, that Evangelion, right? He's bringing that to the Gentile world. Gentile means non-Jewish world. They're going to go out beyond the borders of what they're accustomed to into the foreign world into the world and places where people have different cultures and different fears and different hopes we were fearing them right that also sounds like slango state today right but the end goal is to get to rome the end goal for paul has always appeared to be to get it as far out as possible and why rome Rome, because in that day, Rome was the centre of the Roman Empire. The empire had not grown so large, such as they needed a Constantinople in the eastern half of the, of the empire to be part, a second administrative capital. They had not reached that point yet. At that time, the saying really was true that all roads do lead to Rome. And if the gospel gets to Rome, the gospel gets to the whole empire, the whole Roman Empire. And you will see that Paul would do anything to get to Rome. And 
after a while, and I'm going to give away the ending, he realizes that the only way he can get to Rome is to be sent to Rome as a prisoner to appeal a case that happened in Caesarea. And so he says, I'm going to appeal. I can be set free, but I don't want, I want to appeal this case. Because if I appeal, the, official, the government will put me on a ship and send me to Rome. And that way, I get free passage all the way to Rome. And it's not because he's Kiam Siap. It's like it's not easy to get to Rome, right? And so if he can get to Rome in chains, he will get to Rome in chains. If in chains is the only way Paul can get to Rome, he will go there in chains rather than stay a free man in Jerusalem. And that is how the book of Acts ends. He gets all the way to Rome in chains. And along the way, you can see that from a very Jewish faith, now this faith is going to explode out of, the, uh, uh, of Jewish communities to non-Jewish communities. They are called Gentiles in the Bible, so we'll use that expression sometimes. But I'm not the biggest fan of using the expression Gentile because, because it's actually an expression that Jews have on the other. They are Gentiles. You know, we are Jews, right? So if we are Gentiles, it's just we are just <laughs> Malaysians. Right? Malaysians. And so um, I think we are all today recipients of what happens here, right? Then the faith of G in Jesus Christ explodes out, right? Then we are all recipients of it until today. Now, there is an outward trajectory. You're going to see all these cities, and I will, I'll render this differently. I'll tell you what. I'll render the pathway, right? There is not just a purpose, but there is a pathway out of the, of the Jewish world into the far-flung world. That is, that is awaiting them. By the way, if I show you a map like this, do you all know where it is? A bit? A bit? This is the Mediterranean Sea. How many of you, you like maps? You like geography? Own up. All you nerds, nerds, raise your hands. Yeah, yeah, my fellow nerds, yeah. Okay, so this is the Mediterranean Sea, okay? I'm going to put for you all the modern day states, okay? All the modern day countries. This is where we are, okay? I know all y'all looking now with recognition. Oh, Israel is here, right? I've heard of all these countries, but I can never make them up, right? Um, uh, they are there, right? Egypt, Algeria, Tunisia, this is North Africa, okay? You always see on the map, Africa is this um, big, circular kind of like landmass tapering down, you know, to a sharp point, right? Um, this is North Africa, Okay, this is Turkey. Okay, or, or what we should, by the way, we should call it Turkey yeah, today because actually that's how they want it to be called. And if they want it to be called Turkey, we should call it Turkey, yeah, okay? And if, because we don't want, if, if we don't want people to call Malaysia like something else, <laughs> and we call it Malaysia. So if we want the rest of the world to call it Malaysia, then we should call them Turkey, okay? Um, Turkey, Greece, Italy, right? This is where most of the action happens, Malta. 
Um, France is right here. Corsica is around here, okay? And these are the northern, uh, the Eastern European Second World former Soviet uh, countries, you know. Um, I show them to give you context, right? But I think what you're thinking right now is, where is Ukraine in all this, right? Ukraine is somewhere around here. Okay, Ukraine is somewhere around here. North of this is like Hungary, Romania, and then Ukraine is around here. North this way is Czechia, with Czech, Czech Republic, by the way, I just discovered it's now called Czechia, right? Or they've, they've always called themselves Czechia. The English-speaking world calls them Czech Republic. They call themselves Czechia. So Czechia is up there, Slovakia is up there, and then towards this side is Austria, Switzerland, Germany, up towards the north. How many of you want to go on holiday in Europe? Yep, yep, yep. You like holidaying in Europe? How many of y'all have never, not been to Europe yet? Raise your hands. I, I've not been to Europe yet, right? Want to go? Acts season two. We're going to Europe. We're going to spend half a year there, right? <laughs> but we'll conclude Acts there, right? Right on the shores of the Mediterranean. Now, I'm going to take off all the modern day countries and take us into Paul's first of four missionary journeys. Actually, he goes on three missionary journeys. The fourth is him going on the ship to Rome, right? But we'll call it a missionary journey anyway, right? Um, the first missionary journey was the smallest, the shortest, okay? You're straining your eyes. I zoom in for you, okay? All right, there we go. All right, so he always starts in Antioch. All the missionary journeys begin in Antioch, except for the fourth, okay? Um, he goes down south to the island of Cyprus, Starts in Salamis, goes round to Paphos, and then eventually goes up all the way to Derby. At Derby, he turns around and revisits all the cities that he went to. In fact, for two out of the four missionary journeys, that's Paul's strategy. He will go until A, A B, C, D, E, and at E, he turns around and he goes E, then D, then C, then B, then he returns back. Sometimes he doesn't go exactly the same, but he does. So light green is the two that green is the return, okay? So he does his return trip, you know, all the way back to Antioch. This is, I zoom back out, this is the first missionary journey, right? And then he rests in Antioch and then he does the second missionary journey. The second trip looks like this. Wow, so he spends more time on the road. It, clearly, he's covering more ground, okay? Um, and again, I zoom in for you a bit, okay? It looks like this. From Antioch, going north now, going across to Phrygia, Ephesus, and then sneaking up to Troas, by ship to Philippi, then by land to Thessalonica, Berea. By the way, here is fighting, huh? so they run away to Berea, you know, fighting here, so they run away down to Athens, then they end up in Corinth, and at Corinth, they do the U-turn again, right? At Corinth, they do the U-turn, so they go back off from Corinth through the Athens range area, back to Berea city, to Thessalonica, Philippi, Troas, you know, and then from Troas, now they take a different route all the way back to Jerusalem, and the second trip ends in Jerusalem, okay? Let me zoom back out for you, it looks like that. The third missionary, sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm gobbling this up. That was the third. That was the third. This is the first. This is the second, okay? I zoom into the second. Uh, this is the second, right? The second is they go north. They go all the way in a big loop. So this is like the, it's a big circuit, 
They go one big loop around the Mediterranean, okay, all the way down to Jerusalem and then back to Antioch. The third one is the one that he turns around, okay, at, Cor at Corinth. And then I zoom back out. The fourth one is his one-way ticket to Rome, right? This one, no return flight, no return ticket. He goes from Caesarea, where he is being held in prison, to Myra, to Crete. And you will see at Crete, he actually tells the, 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 the ship, we got to stop here. Weather is going to be bad, right? We can't go, you know, stay the winter, but they didn't. They went out, shipwrecked, shipwrecked. They end up in Malta, you know. And at Malta, many people come to the Lord. And then they, somehow from here, he ends up going to Rome. And the book of Acts ends with them in Rome. If I were to put all the trips on one screen, it looks like that. Lots of squiggly lines. By the way, Sungai Bulo Church, I love you all so much. I drew this whole thing out by hand for you, okay? So, no, you know why? No, 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 don't clap. You know why? Because if you grab maps on Google, it's so cluttered and messy that they will label every city, including the irrelevant ones. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I cannot, I can't, right? And then the lines, um, they don't separate out the first, second, and third. Okay, sometimes they do, but it's all very small and you blow it up. It's very pixelated. You know, I told, I told myself, okay, I'm going to redraw for you guys, right? So it all looks like this. And I'm particular about colors, so I redo it for you, right? Okay, never mind. If I were to map this over the existing countries today, you will see that most of the activity happens northwards from Israel into the Lebanon, Syria area. It goes into Turkey. It goes across to Greece, just short of the Balkan states, right? And then it goes eventually down from here all the way to Italy, right? And so, and so it actually doesn't touch uh, the Balkan states and the rest of Europe. But I think this is interesting. Now, I forgot to say this earlier. If you see the QR code in front of you on, the tape, on, on your chair, you can access today's slides on, on your mobile device, okay? So you can actually keep that I, I want to encourage you, if you're in a cell, you want to do cell uh, studies, you can bring this back up. You know, it's nice, it's important, it's helpful to have a visual to go by, okay? So, I think of ourselves as a teaching church, you know? So, please, these are teaching aids for you. It's in your mobile device right now if you want it. Just scan the QR code and download today's sermon slides. It's yours, okay? Don't have to ask me for permission to share. Go ahead and share it with anyone, right? So that's an overview of the book of Acts season 2, okay? Now, why do I share this overview with you? It's because I want us to start to be able to zoom out and to see a big picture of what God does. He God uses all of us, ordinary people, to move into extraordinary things. I think that's something we can all remember well. God uses all of us, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things, to move into new frontiers and to bring hope to people who have no hope, to bring a mending and a putting back together to people who are broken, to bring healing to those who are, who are sick, um, to bring a, a, a firm foundation to people who are shaking and to bring light 
and life to people who are trapped in darkness and facing death. And that is the call of the church of Jesus Christ all of the last 2,000 years until today. We continue to live in an extension of this map. We continue to live in an extension of these stories. And right now, I want to move from an overview to sharing with you one representative story of all the many places they went to. It is the clash of two powers in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 until 12. I'm going to read it right now on the screen. Acts chapter 13 reads like this. Now there were in the church at Antioch, now you can see, right? It all begins in Antioch, right? Okay? There were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers. And then he names them Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Names five of them. And I highlighted Manaen's name because don't you find it fascinating that among the church, there was a guy who grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. This is the Herod, okay? This is the Herod who in Jesus' adult life, this guy was being super susah with Jesus. This is the guy who killed John the Baptist. This is the guy who... Um, who, whom Jesus would say, you go tell that fox Herod, you know, um, uh, and all that. This is the guy. And imagine this guy has a childhood friend who is a Christian. And this guy has a childhood friend who now has found himself in the church in Antioch and being listed among the teachers and prophets in the church. Talk about having friends in high places, right? He knows the Herodian family. Right? In fact, a uh, different rendering of the Greek for lifelong friend is grew up in the house of Herod, the Tetrarch. Right? So he is like the childhood friend who kind of essentially grew up with you and, and ate many meals in your house. Now, can you imagine the range of influence Manaen would have with the Herod family? Can you imagine what a privileged position it is for this guy to be in, to have witness, to have testimony, to have a chance to share about the power of God to a ruler, a tetrarch over an entire kind of like, you know, political, geographical space. It is incredible. And that's why I think that Acts 13 opens with, by almost intentionally showing you, hey, hey, this is the flavor of this passage, right? These guys, all of your Christians, some of you have a dotted line to somebody who can be very influential. And I think you know if you do have a dotted line to someone who can be very influential. But it's not just people who are very influential because we are not just like oh, a celebrity, you know? But all of you have dotted lines to other people. And God wants to rescue all of them and then sometimes God can use certain people, certain particularly influential people, and He can bring the Christians around them to be of a certain kind of influential power over them because when that goes, other things go. So I just want to take a moment to explain to you because I showed you just now that Paul goes all the way to Rome, right? Let's bring up this one. Paul goes all the way to Rome. Okay, we know this, okay? What happens in Rome? 
you're going to know and you're going to hear that Paul is in prison. But he's in some kind of uh, house arrest so that he actually entertains visitors. People are coming from the church in Rome, from the civil kind of life in Rome to visit him. And he's sharing and he's teaching and giving them the best news ever about Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and now is the hope of the world and the king of the Jews, right? And that is going to be his message throughout his time in Rome. And these people are going to go out from his little house prison and share the good news to other people in the city of Rome, right? And as we know that there already is a church in Rome by that time. These people are going to share and share and share until they share the gospel with the family of a particular woman who is going to have a son, who is going to rise in ranks in the Roman military and he's going to rise in ranks in the Roman political arena and his name is Constantine. Rodney was Constantine's mother's name, do you remember? You don't remember, right? Something like Sophia or something like that. I don't remember her name, right? Candace, something like that. Okay, but Constantine would later refer back to his mother's God. And the myth goes, the story goes, that in battle, as Constantine was facing what could be defeat, he prayed by the river Tiber, he prayed to his mother's God. He ran out of options and he was facing defeat. He prayed to his mother's God because he knew that his mother was fervent and faithful. Helena, that's right. Her name is Helena, right? Um, he prayed to his mother's and as it would happen, he saw a, a, a miraculous vision and he won that battle and then he came to have faith in the God of his mother who is Jesus Christ and he made Jesus Christ his own Lord and Saviour. And in Constantine's life, I will tell you, there are no, no rose rose-tinted lances. Constantine, as a Christian, uh, continued to fund uh, state pagan activities, you know. It would be several Christianized emperors later under Theodosius uh, that they would actually make the whole of the Roman Empire Christian, you know. But it was because the gospel went to Rome and found its way among civil society to a woman named Helena who would witness to her son by being faithful all her life. And when a son needed a God to rescue, he turned to the God of his mother. And through Constantine, the Roman Empire started to become Christianized. And then through the later emperors, it became more Christianized until it became the official state religion. And through that, right, through that, the Christian faith took hold of Western Europe and until today, missionaries came. Actually, there was Christianity was already moving into the East, moving into Asia, moving into China, moving into Japan, you know, moving into... And then, you know, uh, missionaries later would come to our land as well. Until today, we have Sidang Injil Bonyo from Sarawak, Sabah, Semenanjung and that's why we are in a church like this today. Okay, so we belong to a long story of people bringing the gospel from place to place to place. I want to bring you back to, to what's happening here, right? What's happening here is that friends in high places. 
Okay. Now I'm going to continue reading. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. Okay, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they go down. Okay, and then from there they sail to Cyprus. Okay, and when they arrive at Salamis, they proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, that is John Mark, to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. This is not meant to be ironic as in terms of counterfeit naming, okay? But it just so happens to be, okay? Um, now here, I want you to see a second instance of friends in high places. Bar-Jesus... A Jewish magician, he was with the proconsul of Cyprus, okay, whose name was Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And this Sergius Paulus, an intelligent uh, 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 political uh, uh, ruler, summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God from them. Clearly, he's a man who knows things. He's intelligent. He, he, he understands that there is a new way of living, a new way of thinking that is in the world. And now this Saul and Barnabas are on his island. He wants a date with them, right? And so he summons them to him. But Elimas, the magician, this is Bar-Jesus, right? Um, for that is the meaning of his name, Oppose them. He opposed them because he wants to turn the proconsul away from the Christian faith. So I'm going to show you what this slide looks like in visual form. It looks like this. Sergius Paulus is the Roman proconsul in Cyprus. He is a man of influence. He is the VIP, right? He is the Orang Besar in this place. Around him is a sphere of inner circle people. Everybody go on, okay? Everybody go on. Your Slango state, state uh, uh, legislative also got one, okay? Everybody will have their inner circle, right? And everybody wants to get in on the inner circle, get into Menteri Basar's inner circle, right? Get into VIP's inner circle. Elimas Bar-Jesus, the magician, is at this point in the inner circle of the Cyprus proconsul. He is like a spiritual advisor. He is like an important person to the important person, if you know what I'm saying. And then, Sergius Paulus decides that I want to hear a more diverse range of thinkings. I heard that this Paul and Barnabas are on my island. I want to hear what they have to say. And Elimas is threatened. Because if Paul and Barnabas come in, they are coming into his turf and they may undermine his authority, they may undermine his influence, and they may share with Sergius Paulus something that causes Sergius Paulus to change who he keeps in his inner circle. And so Elimas, the magician, Bar-Jesus, that's his name, is afraid of his own rice bowl and his own access to power. And so, he flock-blocked, right? He flock-blocked Paul and Barnabas. He's trying to protect his flock. His flock is Sergius Paulus. He's trying to block Paul and Barnabas from coming in. 
we continue the story. But Saul, who was also called Paul, I told you about this already, right? By the way, after verse 9, he is never called Saul again. This is the first mention of Paul. This is the last mention of Saul. For the rest of the Bible, he will be called Paul already, okay? So this is where the rebranding happens, okay? But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Elimas by Jesus. And he said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for the sun for a time. Wow. Intense. Very intense. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon Bar-Jesus. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And there is a... I think, I think Luke writing this is very aware that not too long ago, this happened to Saul of Tarsus himself. And as an enemy of God, as... <laughs> show you this because he could have said all of these things about himself and he later admits that he really was all of these things as well right son of the devil enemy of all righteousness full of all deceit villainy will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord that was Saul of Tarsus before he came to Christ and today he's calling out the same thing that he saw in himself he sees it in this guy he calls it out in him boom darkness groping around help me move forward from here exactly what happened to Saul himself then the proconsul Sergius Paulus believed in Jesus Christ the proconsul Sergius Paulus came to faith in Jesus when what happens when he a saw what had occurred for he was astonished by b at the teaching of the Lord. Two things are happening in Sergius Paulus and I will get to it in a moment. But I want to show you, this is a little sermonette. It won't be a full length sermon because I spent the first half doing an overview. But three points I want you to see. The first one is that there is always a battle of influence over the lives that are at stake. Whether the person you are reaching out to is... Uh, big shot orang bursa and you happen to have to be part of their inner circle because like Manain you grew up with them maybe or whether the person you are reaching out to is just an ordinary Joe who would come to an ordinary Joe's church like this it doesn't matter there is always a battle of influence for the lives that are at stake for the lives whom Jesus wants to rescue out of darkness. There is always a battle. And then there is always a clash of two spiritual powers over their souls, right? There is a battle. There will be a clash. There will be a clash. Get ready for it, right? And finally, there will be a conviction, a conviction in the heart, a conviction in the eyes, a conviction in the mind of the witness of what they witness and this witness will happen in both wonder or astounded and also happen at the level of understanding by what the teaching was right and so we're just going to quickly look at the battle over the influence i showed you this just now there is a battle over the lives 
of the people you are reaching out to. And I want you to know this. It may appear as though Elimas has a friend in high place. And yes, it's true. Sergius Paulus is his friend in the high place. But I want you to know that Paul and Barnabas have a friend in a higher place. Paul and Barnabas has a friend in the Most High God, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus who died and was resurrected so that he will never die again. And in his death and in his resurrection, Paul and Barnabas have everlasting life. In his death and in his resurrection, you and I also have everlasting life. And because of that, we too have a friend in a very high place. We have a friend in the most high place. And so when you reach out to your own friends, when you reach out in your community, or if you are uniquely positioned so that you actually have a dotted line to a VIP when you reach out to them, when you pray for them, when you take these 40 days of fasting and prayer to pray over the influence that surrounds them, Always remember that your friend in the high place is higher than the human friend in the high place, right? And so I want to encourage every single one of you to not be, do not have eyes, terpikat is the BM word, right? Terpikat by all this, like, wow, I need to go and friend friend with all the orang besar besar. No need. I want you to look at your group and your community and the people around you because that's how the gospel spread from the civil society of Rome all the way to Helena. It's ordinary Christians, ordinary Romans sharing the gospel to other ordinary Romans until they found their way to the palace. right? And that is our call, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to other ordinary Joes and Jills. Right? That's our call. Okay? And so, there is a battle for them. Today, I want us to know that we woke up to a Salango that is technically still no change in government. But if you look just one layer beneath the election results, you will know that something like what, 51 to 4 or 51 to 5, you know, um, uh, in, the f in the last time we had a state election, um, is now what, 29 to 22? And so I want you to know that right on our doorstep. In fact, I believe Payajaras, which is where we are here, um, has gone to Perikata National, right? We are here in Kota Damansara. Neighbouring to us, Payajaras has gone to Perikata National. I want you to know, okay, that right on our doorstep are other Malaysians with their own fears, their own sense of threat, their own concerns, and they want a certain kind of vision for Malaysia sometimes out of fear. And I want us all to know that as Christians, we should not be feared. As their Christian neighbours, we should not be a threat to them. We should be a friend to them. We should be a neighbour to them. They should know that we are the people in, with whom they are most safe. But I want you to also know this thing, that one degree away from them is a sphere of influence that is trying to keep that electorate away 
from the love of their neighbours. That's all of y'all. And I'm not saying this politically. I'm saying this as a Malaysian citizen. Church, I want to charge you guys with a challenge to build a bridge to your ordinary Malay neighbours out there. And I'm not talking about some fancy kind of like great ministry thing, like some missionary thing. I'm not talking about that. So if anyone's watching this online, I'm not talking about that. I'm giving all of you a charge to go out there and befriend someone who has a different culture from you, who eats differently from you, who speaks differently from you, and just help them to know that Malaysian Christians are not trying to be a threat to them but we are there to love them we are there to get to know them to understand their faith and how they themselves interact with it to understand their fears and what makes them so frightened i'm asking you to go and make friends and build bridges and to be a malaysian not just a christian ghetto do you understand don't be in a Christian ghetto. There's a far bigger picture and a far bigger vision for the church than to surround ourselves with our Christian church and our Christian cell group and our Christian schools and our Christian workplaces and our Christian uh, 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 fellowships and, our, and everything. Everywhere you go is you're surrounding yourselves with Christians. No. Go across cultures. Eat someone else's food for a change. Use someone else's language for a change. You yourself won't change one, or maybe you'll be changed for the better. But break across cultural lines. Because if you don't break across cultural lines, then the people informing their thinking, the people discipling their minds, you're giving away that turf. Again, I'm not speaking politically. I'm not speaking religiously. The people informing their minds and shaping their views are giving them a different vision of Malaysia from the ones that we as Malaysians, fellow Malaysians, dream of. So church, go and be Malaysians who reach across the aisle. Go and be Malaysians who will go into someone else's space respectfully and love them as neighbours and as fellow Malaysians. And if you are a foreigner in Malaysia, I really want to say thank you. And if there is any way Malaysians, even in our midst, even in our church, have not gone across the line to you, church, the Malaysian segment of this church, please recognise those who are not Malaysian in our midst. And let's start the practising here, Ken. Can church? Can church? Okay. There is always a battle for influence over the people. There is always a clash of powers. And I want to show you this, right? He calls it out. And I don't need to linger on this. I just need you to know that where God's word comes, I just need you to see that if you are walking with God, these 40 days you are walking with God, God will give you a discernment to be able to tell when some other power... It's not just a human thing, but there is a dark power behind it. And Paul had the discernment to be able to tell that behind Bar Jesus was a dark spiritual power, the power of Satan, and he called it out. And when he called it out, God took over and gave a convicting witness to what took place so that when 
the mist came, the darkness came, and this Bar-Jesus magician started fumbling in the dark. The proconsul saw what had occurred, and then he was astonished by what? It's very weird. Don't you find this very strange? There is wonder, and we get this, right? We, we actually split this into two. We always think that people will either come to Christ when they see something miraculous and it's like, wow, I want this Jesus. Or people will come to Christ when you sit down, you talk to them, you show them that God is good and then they logically kind of like understand and then they come to faith in their mind and then into their heart and then they come to faith, right? And here you see Sergius Paulus coming to faith in, in Christ through both ways. There is the awe and wonder of something supernatural. And guy, right? He's an intelligent guy. He's seeking to know. And so it's happening at both levels. Please, as a church, don't split the two apart. Please don't think that, oh, God can only reach people through signs and wonders and miracles. Neither should we say that God can only reach people through apologetics and through like reasoning and all that, right? But God wants to reach people and He will do it. He will reach people, sometimes He'll reach people through one, through both. And sometimes He'll reach people in His own way. So right now, I just want us as Malaysians, as Malaysian Christians, as the Church of Christ in this land, we believe that the kingdom must come on earth as it is in heaven. And I know that if you are not a Christian, you hear that it can sound very threatening. And then sometimes, yala, then the narrative starts, la, I heard a pastor on YouTube, this one, uh, and oh, the one kata, uh, uh, Christian mau kingdom of God to Malaysia, right? Okay, maksudnya dia orang mau menaung Malaysia. Right? And Christian want to rule over. No. Okay? I just want to dispel that. No, I do not think it's at all tenable for us to even think or even hypothesize, you know, anything other than a Malay Muslim as the Prime Minister of Malaysia. And I think for the stability of, of, of our country, I think that that's going to be what we are going to live with. Now, I do see, however, the church sharing love, sharing food, sharing knowledge, sharing wealth, sharing opportunities, sharing resources with the rest of Malaysians. And some of that sharing will be with communities and people who will come to Christ. And we do that in refugee groups. We do that with the many groups of people in Malaysia who legally can come to Christ and can come to faith and can come to a church. And I also believe that God will use us to share love, food, and resources and opportunities with many people who will never come to Christ. And we will do that because we love them. And we will do that simply because God's love is in our heart. And when God's love overflows from us, we don't pick and choose who receives it. It just overflows onto everybody. And that's the kind of church I want us to be. I don't want us to be the kind of church that's so picky about evangelism. I want to evangelize to people who can come to Christ. I don't want to evangelize to people who won't come to Christ. That's not Christianity. 
Christianity is a love of God overflowing from His people. And it just spills onto everybody. And those whom God puts in them a conviction to come to Him, that's between God and them. Our role is not to pick winners and losers. Our role is just to overflow. And so church, I want us in these 40 days to just keep overflowing. And overflow to your neighbours. I have a Malay neighbour living across the road, right? I'm not trying to evangelise to him. I'm just trying to overflow in love to him, right? So that he knows that the guy living across the road from him loves him and wants to buy food from his garage and all that kind of thing. And that's my part to play as a Malaysian, as a Christian, as a representative of Christ. And I want all of us to begin to show love to our neighbours that way. Can I have the worship team on stage? Right, we'll sing, we'll sing that, that last song. I, I, I forget the title, but yeah, glory to the Lamb, right? Because, can I say this? It brings God no glory if the Christian church only jaga tepi kain sendiri. Brings God no glory. We look like God, the Christian God looks like a selfish God. And He's not a selfish God. He's the most selfless God. He gave Himself up for the whole world. I want us all to take stock. And I don't want to say that we woke up to a Selangor like this or we woke up to a Malaysia like that. It's been trending this direction for a long time now. And the first time we got a temperature reading was at last November's GE. Or was it November or October? Yeah. And we're getting a second temperature reading. If this was someone who is sick, going to two doctors and getting the same, getting the same uh, 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 report. If this was a case of, let me get a second opinion from another consultant, whatever, oncologist, right? And the same result came back. If this was your body and if this was your health, you would start taking it very seriously. Once the second opinion came back and it conferred the first one. He confirmed the first one. This morning, we woke up to the second opinion coming back and it confirmed the first one. That's all. If there is a cancer, it's been there for a while now. If there is a sickness, we've had it for a while now. And how is this not our body? How is this not our health? This is our body. This is our body as the people of Malaysia. And we sing the song sometimes, Syukur untuk setiap rencanamu dan rancanganmu yang mulia dalam satu tubuh. Kami bersatu. This is our body. And so church, it brings God glory for us to take the things happening underneath the surface of our nation. And inside the mobile devices of our nation, of our neighbours, and inside the hearts, their fears, their concerns, and let us not be so quick to dismiss them or to trivialise them. Let us put pause and to hear their own fears and stories, and let us be Malaysians side by side, and let us overflow, because when we overflow, what happens to them? happens to them but God gets the glory Amen because His church looks like it should be let us close our eyes let us pray right now Hallelujah Father we come before you
to say, Lord God, that on our own, sometimes it feels like we are so powerless to do anything to shape the narrative of this land. We feel so powerless to bring the gospel uh, to the people who would come to Christ. We, bring, we, we feel uh, 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 like we are stunted in our ability. But with Christ, all things are possible. And we've seen the maps. We've seen the names. We've seen the names of the cities. We, we've heard the stories of how God you have broken into frontiers that are steeped in addiction, steeped in fear, steeped in darkness, steeped in death and killing and violence, steeped in all kinds of, of, of misery and brokenness, lives that are broken, witchcraft, sorcery, people being held down, pinned down by all kinds of spiritual darkness, Lord, we've seen you go into places like this and set captives free. We've seen you go into darkness and lift people out of darkness, out of fear, out of addictions, out of violence, out of retributive violence. We've seen you bring people out of those things into marvellous light. And Lord Jesus, we are praying that you can just use every single one of us to do the first step which is to over to fill up and to overflow to fill up in christ and to overflow with christ so that the world around us that may be parched and thirsty can finally be watered by the goodness of our god and as christians that is your call for us to be filled and to be overflowing with you and church our prayer is that as you overflow, indeed, the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters clothe the sea. For you are glorious. You are worthy to be praised. You are the Lamb upon the throne. Church, I just want you to, to rest in the lyrics of the, word, of the song you just sang. It says, Glory, 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 to the lamb upon the throne not to the lion eh? yes. not to the rara victor glory to the lamb you know why lamb because god gets glory in the christ who was sacrificed emptied himself and stooped down not just to the life of a human a servant to the death on a cross, a criminal's death. That sacrifice brings God glory. And today, God is asking for some kind of sacrifice from you. And I will not presume to tell you what that sacrifice is. It will be between God and you. But I want you to be open to hear God when He challenges you into a sacrifice because it is in the posture of being on the altar ready to be sacrificed by God for a higher calling that this song can become real in your life so Lord Jesus we thank you
Lord Jesus, we pray that you keep shaping us as Christians. You shape us as brothers and sisters and cousins of the people in our land. You shape us to be good neighbours the way you told us a neighbour ought to be. Father, you shape us to be upstanding, right, good, overflowing citizens of Malaysia who will not be prejudiced against who we want to bring goodness to. Father, we just pray, Father God, that you use this church and transform us deep inside us, do a deep work inside us so that the Lamb upon the throne can truly be glorious in this land. So Father, separate us now with your blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us until we meet again and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.